welcome to Federal Insights, a more nuanced approach to cloud FinOps sponsored by Grant Thornton. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Brian Reynolds. He's a principal for the Digital Transformation and Management Practice for Public Sector at Grant Thornton. Brian, good to have you with us today. Thanks. Good to be here. And let's talk about this concept of FinOps. That sounds like financial operations as it relates to IT deployments, and we'll be getting into the cloud in just a moment, but maybe give us the background on on that term and how Grant Thornton approaches it and sees it. Yeah, sure. Um, I suspect it's a pivot on you know what is now common terms like DevSecOps and the like, but it, it really is um, a philosophy and management approach to managing cloud um, and optimizing cloud um, from both a financial and an operations perspective. So the idea is to bring together those individuals who are IT professionals along with those folks within the business and of course finance so that we can make sure that the right sorts of cloud resources are deployed and that they're used optimally. In many ways, that is a Fatara friendly type of approach too, isn't it? That agencies ought to be taking. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, and then there's the cloud planning process that you referred to, and Grant Thornton, again, with the FinOps concept, has a slightly different take on cloud planning. Most of the planning that you hear federal agencies do is all about the technology. How will we migrate the data, and how will we recompile the applications so they run? The questions go on and on and on, but it's got to be paid for, and it's got to be budgeted, and so I guess that's where a different approach to cloud planning or a more comprehensive approach comes in. Tell us more about it. Well, certainly costs are an important part of cloud planning from our perspective. It's, um, it's absolutely you know core element of ROI and of understanding whether or not moving to the cloud is in fact uh, makes good business sense. Um, yeah, you're right, we don't approach um, migration and migration planning decisions strictly from an IT perspective. It's, it's uh, we believe not practical to do so. We, we really do start off by understanding motivations for moving to the cloud and those those motivations can, you know, can be cost savings related, but they could also be oriented around the need to exit a data center, um, the need to improve business agility, um, the need to transition from end of life or end of support technology. So we really do take the time, work with clients to understand their motivations and the outcomes that they're seeking. And those, those outcomes might be things like reliability, performance improvements, um, security improvements, the sorts of things that we typically see as pillars within you know, cloud's well-architected framework uh, concepts. Um, we use those, those understandings of motivation and of outcomes to define a set of um, outcomes and key results. You know, basically, we work to establish significant, specific goals to be achieved and the measurable criteria um, that, we, we hope to, um, that the agency hopes to achieve through their cloud migrations. And those, those understandings drive um, all the decisions we make during the planning process thereafter. And who should be involved in this type of comprehensive planning for cloud? Well, well for most um, cloud adoption and migration planning efforts, really we should include participants from across the enterprise. Now, that, now that's different if we are you're dealing with a very specific or singular application or workload that needs to be migrated. It might be a smaller group. But in general, we want to involve Individuals from the business, absolutely, they're affected by these changes. Um, IT practitioners like those on infrastructure and operations teams, um, application development teams, and ideally professionals from finance and other functions across the business. You know, you can think of it as a, you know, sort of a biz dev sec 
FinOps model, I guess, if you want to complicate things. Yeah, lots of syllables to throw in there. And you mentioned you should take a careful think, I guess, about motivations and also outcomes and goals. How do you distinguish between motivations and outcomes? Outcomes are uh, measurable. They are defined. They're specific. Um, we, we have, um, you know, an in, a motivation might be an interest in cost savings. An outcome is actually a specific targeted cost savings that we aim to achieve through the migration efforts. And is cost savings, by the way, always an objective of cloud migrations? Because the savings that have resulted to a lot of agencies have been not that big, but yet there are other benefits that may outweigh even an equal cost basis when you're done. Yeah, I mean, cost savings, you know, is, is one of many reasons that individuals or organizations may have interest in, in moving to the cloud. Um, it's, it's absolutely not the, the primary interest, you know, you know, ideas that come to mind would be, you know, the need to improve operational resilience, um, the, the ability to use and react to um, constituent needs more, um, more effectively or more quickly. Um, you know, that sort of business agility benefits, um, you know, better uptime, um, more productivity for your team. So there's all sorts of business benefits that need to be factored into the business case. Costs are important, but um, so are the advantages of cloud that essentially aren't available um, without great cost anyway um, on-prem. In some ways, it's a classic issue then to convince the finance people that everything is not only dollars and cents, and for the finance people to convince the operational people that there is virtue in saving some of the agency's money. Yeah, and I mean, the key there is to, to quantify it, right? I mean, that you, you're right. When we're, when we're working with finance, um, there is a need to quantify or monetize these sorts of benefits. And that can be done. You know, we, there's, there's, um, there's you know, ample evidence about the cost of a security breach and the costs that follow um, a, a security breach, for example, root cause analysis and remediations. So th that provides a good basis for us to um, quantify or monetize the savings that can be delivered through um, hardened um, you know, cloud-based um, deployment or through a more better operational resilience. And of course, so, a lot- I mean, Certainly there's, there are true costs of being down to not having the ability to recover um, from a disaster or to not have the proper you know, continuity of operations. And so these are, these are costs that absolutely need to be built into the business case and considered when we're um, thinking about or evaluating uh, migration opportunities. And a lot of the savings, a lot of the benefits and so on depend on what workloads you actually move to the cloud because they all have different implications on, on the weight of IT operations. And so you've got a definable and defined process that you advise agencies to go through to rationalize the order of events in cloud. What, just walk us through how you decide what should go first in cloud migrations or, or next if you've already done one. Yeah, I mean, the, the process for deciding what should be migrated first and maybe what should remain, you know, this is, um, this is absolutely, a, you know, based upon what we talked about before, you know, what are your motivations, what are the outcomes you're seeking, you know, what are the OKRs or the outcomes and key results that you aim to, you know, aim to achieve, um, you know, you know, mission success is an obvious, is an obviously an important part of this. And, and you can look at that really in two ways. If we have an organization that is, um, taking first steps towards moving towards the cloud, you know, we may want to steer clear of those applications that are most mission critical. Or, for example, if cost savings is your primary motivation, then we may want to steer clear of those, those mission critical applications initially. As an organization becomes more mature, or if we have a business imperative or a, you know, a market need that, um, a constituent need that 
requires um, you know, mission critical applications to be um, adjusted or improved, then those become our priorities. So you know, really the maturity of the organization is part of what we need to think about um, and the objectives or goals that we're trying to, um, trying to uh, you know, sort of enable absolutely important. I would add that you know, the technical depreciation of the assets being considered has to absolutely be considered. If we have end of life or end of support technologies um, supporting workloads and, um, and, and those workloads cannot be retired for one reason or another, um, they're mission critical, then you know, we, want to, we want to make sure that we, we consider those for migration because those typically will introduce uh, a vulnerability. Um, you know, I, I think one thing organizations often overlook is that in some ways they've already done an awful lot of the work they need to do to make some of these migration decisions. You know, as, as part of most organizations, disaster recovery and continuity of operations um, planning processes, they developed a business impact analysis. It's based upon their CMDB, you know, and, 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 and accounting of their IT assets. You know, a well-performed or well-built BIA should indicate the impact that processes and underlying assets, IT assets have on their business processes. So, you know, this is a great place to start. You already have essentially an accounting of which assets and which processes are most important to your business and which have the most effect on brand, finances, constituent support, regulatory compliance and the like. So this is a great place to start and a great place to um, begin your thinking about what to migrate first. And you also mentioned uh, to consider whether the supporting infrastructure is at the end of life or at the end of support. That also goes for code base and applications, I would imagine. Some of those get long in tooth, get expensive to maintain. And I guess at some point an agency could decide, well, this is the time to move to software as a service. Maybe a commercial. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cloud migration is absolutely a strategy for tech debt, you know, uh, remediation. You know, that there's there's certainly the option to remediate in place. Um, you know, and, and we 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 use the same models that I think your listeners are familiar with, you know, six R's model, you know, the idea that we can either rehost that is sort of quickly lift and shift. Um, you know, that's appropriate if we don't have, you know, tech that is um, seriously depreciated and we need to move quickly. Um, you know, we can replatform, we can refactor, um, we can retain. And in some cases, the, the decision is we need to retire. Um, and so contemplation of the, the code-based and the, the tech stacks depreciation is certainly key, you know, key to making those kind of decisions. Um, the timeliness or the need to move very quickly also will drive some of those sorts of decisions. All right. And uh, well, you mentioned six R's, but you only said five. Rehost, replatform, refactor, retain, or retire. What's the sixth? Uh, that's that's six. I think that's, uh, I, I, I guess I sometimes use refactor versus re-architect, I guess, is my, my sixth. Thing. All right. So re-architect. Very good. Yeah. It's a good time then to look at both your hardware and your software assets almost as separate entities when you're doing this cloud planning. Yeah. I mean, you, you can take two different approaches here, you know, you can sort of take an asset point of view that is looking at all of your hardware and your software, um, and then moving up to, to think about which workloads, you know, which processes and business capabilities are delivered. Um, we, we can also go the other direction, right? We can look at your workloads and we can go downwards and looking at your assets. And it, and it really does have to do with, again, your motivations. If, you're, if your motivations are maybe cost savings related, then we might be looking more um, at your assets. If you're looking to improve your customer experience, for example, we might look at your workloads or take an applications view of, of your own migration efforts. 
My guest today is Brian Reynolds. He's a principal for the digital transformation and management practice for the public sector at Grant Thornton. I'm Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights, a more nuanced approach to cloud FinOps sponsored by Grant Thornton here on Federal News Network. There are nearly 2 billion websites in the world, but there's only one that matters to the federal IT community. Welcome to AskTheCIO.com, the longest running program on federal IT, featuring Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. AskTheCIO.com. Exclusive CIO and IT decision maker interviews, breaking news, on demand and updated daily. Sign up at askthecio.com and become an insider with full access to federal IT news, special events, and actionable intel. Askthecio.com. Welcome back to Federal Insights, a more nuanced approach to cloud fin ops sponsored by Grant Thornton here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Brian Reynolds. He's the principal for digital transformation and management practice for the public sector at Grant Thornton, and I'm Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about the idea of, you know, the six R's, what do we retire, re-architect, re-host, and so forth, and looking at software and hardware assets, almost an inventory and analysis before you plan your move to the cloud. And that gets to the question of the, of the model that agencies have for knowing all of the costs, because knowing the price of this, that, and the other doesn't necessarily give you the costs to the agency, the total cost of ownership of all of these things. So maybe discuss the, the spend analysis for the different elements of computing software and hardware that agencies need to do, and do you find that they are all up to that task? Yeah, it's it's um, this again can be a place where maybe ongoing initiatives or initiatives that are already being undertaken by the organization can be can be a great help. And, and what I'm really referring to here is TDM. And, and to the extent that an organization is already investing in TDM, these kinds of this this kind of um, analysis is made all the more easier. You know, TDM provides us with a finance view. Um, you know, cost pools. We can look at the costs associated with internal and external labor. We can look at software and hardware costs. It also should give us an IT view. And so we can look at costs classified by IT towers, that is compute, storage, network, and the like. It'll also give us views that are closer to workload type views, like so product and service views um, and, allow, and allow for views that provide cost allocation to business units. So this is a great place um, where, where an organization has a TBM program in place. This is a great place to start as you're thinking about your cloud, cloud migration costs. Cloud migration costs, when we build a business case around cloud migration, it's, it's quite easy to look past those costs that might seem ancillary or um, you know, not top of mind. You know, there, there are costs associated with your facility. There's costs associated with external labor. There's costs associated with you know, INO staff. Um, there's energy and HVAC-related costs. So these costs are all embedded within your cloud service costs. And so when we think about doing a comparison, we have to make sure we really do consider um, not just the obvious you know, hardware, software, licensing sorts of costs, um, but we also have to think about some of those costs that might be less obvious. Um, and, and, and again, TBM can be a way um, to, to think about and get, get your hand, hand on those costs that come very quickly. Yes, I mean, if you don't have a good business management approach to IT before the cloud, even if you'd migrate nothing, if you establish TBM, you'll have a better handle on what it is you're doing in IT, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, TBM and, you know, FinOps, as we talked about before, you know, there are some, seriously, some commonalities there, you know, understanding 
and allocating and understanding the costs. Um, but you know, I think FinOps on the cloud side, we, we take it a step farther and we're, we're looking not just to sort of be informed about our costs, but to then optimize, take steps to optimize those costs. And then ultimately um, to operate and continually improve those costs. And that's, and that's a, a view not totally on, similar to you know, the TBM, but it, what we're trying to move towards is an understanding of, of unit costs. Costs in the cloud for most organizations are going to continue to go up. What's important to understand is are the efficiencies, are the value delivered through those costs better? So are the unit costs for supporting a particular transaction or a particular constituent um, going down over time? And that should be the objective um, for financial management of, of the cloud. So when you negotiate with a cloud provider, you come up with a set of prices for this, that, and the other, and they have lists of services that run into the thousands of pages that you can sign up for. But that doesn't, the, the added or the aggregated prices for the services you're using, that's not your costs. You have to then control what of those you are using to really know what your costs are. Am I characterizing it correctly? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the, this is the, I think the challenge, you know, and really what one of the things that's, um, you know, takes a lot of time as we're building building a business case for migration. It's it's um it, unlike maybe prior pricing models where we might have thought about named users and licenses. Um, we really are moving towards a place where we have to understand um, workloads, that is throughputs, what data is egressing and you know, coming into and out of the the cloud platform. Um, you know, transactions, storage, um, you know, compute, and that and that becomes all the more complicated when we. We think about serverless and how to price um, and, and, and manage the cost of serverless. So, so yes, there are well-published, um, you know, all the cloud providers publish their pricing. What, what really is the task at hand here is understanding your workload, understanding how it's going to change over time, or at least being able to estimate it reasonably, and then using that basis um, to make decisions about the services you use um, and, and how you're going to plan to optimize those services over time. Then it seems to imply then that the good spend analysis and cost analysis can maybe drive some of the technical decisions. For example, if large data sets are expensive to download or egress from the cloud, then maybe your architecture says, we'll leave the data there and let's take the compute logic to the cloud instead of at the client downloading data, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know, good examples here would be you know decisions between uh, a managed service um, and um, you know a managed database service, for example, where in the shared responsibility model, the cloud provider is assuming responsibility for patching and maintenance of that of that platform, versus um, a client making a decision to deploy um, a licensed you know, database to a VM or, or to EC2 instance. Um, so, and then, and then, you know, essentially having to bear the costs and hassles of maintaining um, that, that environment over time. So there's, there's a trade-off there, right? Between, um, you know, the managed service, which is going to be a little more expensive um, and the, and the service that you have to manage um, and which, which ultimately is not more, you know, not cheaper if you if you really do, as we said before, think about the true cost of um, not just standing it up, but running and maintaining and patching it over time. Yeah. And you also mentioned some of the intangibles, uptime, security, resiliency, and so forth. Is it possible to get a cogent cost model for those to build into this large equation? Yeah. I mean, and that's certainly that's what we do, right? I mean, we, we really do um, create a value, you know, valuation of uptime, for example, or the cost of, down, of, of downtime. 
um, you know, it does have an impact on an organization's ability to deliver on their mission. And, you know, so that is absolutely a key part of what we have to think about as we, as we think about costs and benefits here. And many agencies have a little piece of cloud deployment that is open-ended. That is, they give almost credit card access to development groups to spin up machines in the cloud that can do development work and test and so forth. And those are hard to control. And so what are some strategies for allowing that kind of flexibility that people need in DevOps and DevSecOps and yet not getting, you know, a big long list of credit card tabs every month? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the challenge. I mean, and this is why I think FinOps is particularly important. You know, the, the procurement model has changed, is changing with, with cloud. You know, we, we no longer have long procurement cycles where we are buying servers well in advance and that's being controlled through a contracting process. Now we have the ability for engineers to turn on or allocate resources and use those resources. And we, and we don't want to inhibit that. You know, engineers who are developing solutions need to have the ability to make the right kind of choices based upon, um, you know, their engineering expertise and their understanding of the workloads. Um, but this is where I think, you know, there's a couple different ways to handle this. One is landing zones. We can establish guardrails and that limit what sorts of resources can be deployed in which sorts of environments and by who. Um, and this is also where FinOps comes in. You know, there are some decisions that um, can be made parochially. Um, they should be made parochially. You know, so it could be, um, it could be the, the decision to deploy a particular asset in support of a particular project. But there are other decisions that we, we really do want to centralize. Those would be decisions like reserved instance or saving plan sorts of decisions. And it's important that we do that in a centralized fashion because if we've set up our account structures right and we take advantage of cloud providers consolidated billing benefits, then what that allows us to do is to make decisions about um, reserved instances and savings plans that might be intended initially for one account, but that can be used across accounts um, if there is an under usage. And in, and in doing so, an organization can avoid sort of on-demand costs that they, they might have incurred otherwise. So, so there, are, there are definitely procurement challenges. There are controls we can put in place through through the cloud infrastructure. There are certainly monitoring tools that are an important part of the FinOps, um, ongoing FinOps operation. Um, and then there's a centralization of some decisions, those decisions that are, are best made at the, at the enterprise level. And I think this is, I mean, this is a key point, you know, Tom, that, um, you know, FinOps and cloud and spend management of the cloud is not a, you know, sort of a one and done. We're not going to come in there and, and do an organization and we're not going to, optimize, hope you optimize for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then walk away and think that, that that's going to sort of last. Um, like the cloud resource usage is changing, um, you know, daily, weekly, um, by the minute. And so ongoing management and vigilance, um, cost management vigilance is required here. So organizationally, then it sounds like it's a good idea to establish almost a council or a center of excellence or some kind of governing body that is more than ad hoc to make sure that they ride herd on this whole effort? Yeah, or, or maybe not so much ride herd, but collaborate on this effort. And I, and I think that's really what, what, you know, what we're trying to do with FinOps is we're trying to bring IT who understands the engineering and the, you know, the IT asset sides of things, but maybe aren't preoccupied with cost management. Um, together with individuals from finance who understand budgets, CapEx, you know, CapEx and OpEx strategies, and, um, and have, a, have a real focus on financial management. Bring them together with the business to make these decisions together, to make the right decisions together, instead of you know, foisting decisions um, on one another or 
you know, operating blindly without concern for the other's interests. I'd like to thank today's guest. Brian Reynolds is a principal for digital transformation and management practice for the public sector at Grant Thornton. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Grant Thornton. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights for October, sponsored by Grant Thornton on Federal News Network.